Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Rachel True. And I'm Trent Venegas. And you're listening to Quoting Gene Roddenberry. The 100-day podcast that celebrates what would have been the 100th birthday of that guy that created Star Trek. Each day between now and the end of our podcast, August 19th, one of Star Trek's biggest icons, or celebrity fans, or both, will be quoting Gene Roddenberry. Then we're going to take a deep dive into why we think this sci-fi legend still has a lot to say to the world. Today's quote is read by the legendary actor and Star Trek's number one, Jonathan Frakes. We believe that the often ridiculed mass audience is sick of this world's petty nationalism and its old ways and old hatreds, and that people are not only willing, but anxious to think beyond those petty beliefs that have kept humanity divided. Oh, what a great reading by Mr. Star Trek himself. All right, so we want to welcome today's guest, Norman C. Lau, who is the co-host of Mission Log, Roddenberry Star Trek podcast himself. And I I have so many thoughts about this, right? Because, again, being an actress working in television, sometimes I feel like people dumb things down for the theoretical audience instead of mm-hmm. realizing that an audience will meet you where you are. But, I, I Norman, let me hear your thoughts. Well, first of all, thank you uh, for having me back on the show again. And believe me when I say that it is intimidating Mm. as heck to follow up the words and the performance (laughs) of one Jonathan Freak. So I don't think I've ever said this or thought this about my career in podcasting, but I'm actually following up number one (laughs) on a show, which is amazing. You know, it's, it's a really interesting quote here by Gene, because one of the things that, that I believe that I guess our higher ups or people that are are in positions of power or influence the world believe is that the the world masses do not have a combined world intellect about themselves. Uh, in other words, that we are just a certain amalgamation of very benign thoughts, actions, movements, beliefs, and whatever they choose to dictate or realize for us, that is what we'll accept as true. But I think that with today's proliferation of technology, that is becoming more and more not the case. I think it's reversing that standpoint and allowing people to actually have a voice collectively and individually. Part of why I brought up television and audiences, which is addressed in this quote, is, um, you know, I don't know if most people know that television was started as, let's say, the Hoover vacuum hour, right? Mm -hmm. It was uh, Mm -hmm. shows were created to sell the products. The TV shows, for the most part, are adverts for the advertisements, right? So let's jump to Star Trek with its message. Now, it wasn't the first show to have a message in it, but it didn't pander down to its audience and just try to, hey, we're just doing some filler, like yada, 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 until you can buy this thing, some jello over here. It was like, no, we are actively trying to reach our audience help them move into the future along Mm -hmm. with us. Because we must remember that with Star Trek, the first one was, you know, right around the time of we're going to land on the moon. We're doing this. We're doing that. Uh, And we were all so excited about the future and where we could go. 
So that's kind of what I see in there a little bit. And, you know, as far as the rest of it, old hatreds and what people are willing to do, that's tricky, man, because I wish I had some of the um, optimism that that uh, Mr. Roddenberry had because after 2020, right? You know, yeah. and my 80-something-year-old stepmother saying uh, it's worse now than it was in the 60s and 50s as far as the way we're treating each other based on our skin color, which is insane, right? So there's so much to parse in this quote because those things are petty. I bring that up to say in this quote it says, people are not only willing but anxious to think beyond these petty beliefs. Now, I really believe we are, but we had a year of being kind of mired down in mm -hmm. petty beliefs when you talk about QAnon, when you talk about XYZ that happened this year, right? So where do you think, where do you think, how could I, how, somebody help me find belief in our humanity that we can rise past this? Because I do believe it, but I worry for us. Well, the interesting thing uh, about uh, some of Gene's earlier work before Star Trek is that, you know, one of my favorite shows, and I know that... I wasn't born, not nearly close to when this show was released, but is Have Gun, Will Travel, where Gene wrote about, you know, about 20 or so episodes. And one of the most interesting things is that you had a white ex-cavalry soldier named Paladin who would go out. He was a soldier of fortune. He was a gun for hire, hence the name Have Gun, Will Travel. But he would go out there and actually right the wrongs of bigotry mm. and racism mm. against black people, against Indian people, against Asian people. And that's something that I found very refreshing about especially Westerns at the time, because when when Gene is saying in this quote that it's the nationalism of its old ways and old hatreds, you saw that a lot in the media of the time. There's a lot of mm -hmm. World War II, post-World War II shows. You had cowboy shows, Indian shows. You had shows that basically perpetuated a lot of this passive racism, passive bigotry, because that was part of of the, I guess, the the, the cultural mm -hmm. fabric of the time. You had paranoia against Asian people because of what happened in World War II or because of what was happening in Korea. Would you consider it passive? Because I don't. I think it was overt and aggressive racism as, oppo as opposed to just passive racism back then. It's a little bit, well, we understand it, I think, today watching it from when it was first aired as aggressive because I think we're a little bit more understanding of how actually overt it was. But I think the people that were watching that at the time it was a little bit more subversive because they weren't really understanding how how destructive that type of passive racism was when people were watching it. So that's something that as an Asian American, that's something that I'm always cautious of looking at. How is this? How are these racial portrayals being conveyed on screen? Are they being done in mm -hmm. a positive light as in a hundred percent positive light or are they being done in order to uh, perpetuate the, the narrative of the hero. So that's something that happened again in a lot of these these cultural iconic shows that made the quote unquote white hero the star because of course that they were going to right wrongs. Of course they're going to do battle with evil, fight Nazis, fight Indians, you know, fight you know the uh, the dangers or what have you. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I hear from people that are not Star Trek fans or not fans of uh, sci-fi in general, who, who never watch it, they really tend to downplay it. They think it's silly. You know, they see the, the pointy ears or they see the antenna and they think it's just silly, throwaway, nothing of merit there. And I always definitely want to say that the people that never watch it, they can't really understand what it's like unless you really watch the show. And, you know, I was never a big sci-fi fan. I liked Star Wars, but I didn't really love sci-fi until I started watching Star Trek because it's more than just, you know, 
aliens and spaceships, like the character development, the stories, the relationships between the characters are really, really complex. And when you talk about how uh, we, we mentioned earlier how Gene would teach us things through entertainment, the the infamous the the famous kiss between Uhura and and Kirk back in the sixties like that was teaching us something while we weren't really necessarily paying attention that we were being taught something. Well, again, I jump in and say, as a small child, you know, who was sat in front of the repeats in the early seventies to watch it, I was I love that they have it on there now as an adult. It was a little hard for me as a kid because I went, mm-hmm. my dad is white, my mom is black. Mm-hmm. Why are they having so much trouble kissing here? Mm-hmm. Why is it I can't kiss? Yeah, uh, uh, but I get it now as an adult I'm so appreciative that that was in there because what it Mm -hmm. did was make white Americans think about Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily for me right it was for the general public which is Mm -hmm. thought of as Anglo you know for the most part but I think that Gene was really also very astute in his audience and the audience that he was building because you know at the end of this quote he says and that people are not only willing but anxious to think beyond those petty beliefs that have kept mankind divided. So when you see Star Mm -hmm. Trek for the first time, or at least when they did in the 1960s, you saw, I think, what many people wanted to actually see happen in the world governments, especially like in the United Nations, but you saw that a little bit more outward and a little bit more enlarged because, you know, in the ready room, or I'm sorry, that was the next generation, but in the original 1960s -hmm. Star Trek, you know, in the captain's briefing room, you had basically representatives of Mm -hmm. all of Earth. You had, you know, you had Japan, you had Africa, you had mm-hmm. Russia, all working together collectively to be able to succeed as humanity. And I think that, that that was the most attractive thing because that's something that wasn't even being explored in the media of the time. It was all about the bad guy, the good the bad guy, Russian and guy. the imperialist, mm-hmm. nationalistic bad Russian guy, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I want to believe that people are anxious to think beyond these petty beliefs that have kept mankind divided, but we're coming out of a year, right, where... I don't know. I Give me some hope because I'm not sure. Where, I know I'm anxious, right? And I know a lot of other people are anxious, but I think that 49% of the country is so not anxious mm-hmm. to move forward and get through their petty beliefs. Help me out, man. I mean, we are coming out of it. I, You know, uh, this year alone is light years better than it was last year, at least from my perspective. I'm talking from race relations, though. I'm not talking well, quarantine. <laughs> well, no, I mean, in terms of just... It can get better. And if it's one thing that I've learned from all of the the Gene Roddenberry quotes that we've discussed up until this point is his ever optimism about what can be, about what humanity can be, and how he envisioned a future where humans got to the point where we put aside uh, our petty beliefs, our old hatreds, our petty nationalism. Earth was unified as one of the federation of planets and then beyond that the conflict comes from you know experiencing other worlds and other uh, alien life forms and the conflict in there so the thing is is like these quotes in particular and the show teaches us that or at least gives us hope that there's a better future out there if we want it to be. So I just have to have hope that people will hope. You know what I mean? I get that. I get part of being a human. It's the human condition to try. You have to be hopeful and we have to believe, as this quote says, we believe that the masses, I'm just saying as black woman of a certain age, I ain't seeing it yet in reality. That's all. Norman, what do you think? Well, I mean, as an Asian man of a certain age, (laughs) I'd, I'd see the same thing. 
But at the same time, though, is like one of the things that we have to really pay attention to is like what's happening in, in the uh, quote unquote epoch of cultural society that's happening right now. And I think that it would be uh, in our in our best interest and it would be a huge detriment to us as a people uh, to to for forego what we have learned in, say, the last year, in the last 18 months, you know, especially with law, with order, with the application of that law and order upon certain groups of people. How are we going to get past that? And I think the only way that we're going to get past that is to continue to educate people on how that uh, these times, uh, especially these crisis periods in humanity, have always been able to, they've always been able to um, prompt change if you stay vigilant to it. On a positive note, um, 51% of the country voted out Agent mm-hmm. Orange and his China virus bullshit, you know? So that does give me hope, right? Mm-hmm. The Kung flu, that was particularly uh, fun for me. That's what I'm saying. It was also yeah. insidious. Mm-hmm. And it, and two, and, and I think if you're Anglo, you don't even think about, oh, it's Kung flu in China, but you don't even think about it to right. a certain extent of how terrible and detrimental that was and how it's a direct co- correlation to the attacks on Asian Americans mm-hmm. in our country. Now, again, I was very lucky. I lived in New York, Manhattan's Lower East Side. We had uh, a lot of Vietnamese kids who were first gen, Chinese kids, first gen. Everybody was, we all live together. I understand as an adult, not everyone is as lucky to have that ideal, a childhood Mm -hmm. where we're spinning a dreidel one day and then literally having the Chinese dragon come in for New Year's. We had that every year. Like not, I... I hope, though, that everyone does explore, you know, go out and see. Instead of thinking of the Chinatown in your neighborhood, it's just China. go, go check it out. You love Chinese food. Why don't you go to the Chinatown and actually see what that community is about? Or same with the black neighborhoods. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox, Trent. <laughs> well, it really comes down to the individual. And if we want to reimagine a new way, we can. It, it may sound a little trite, but we can. And this conversation alone proves that. We can if we want to. If you would like to watch the video of the legendary Jonathan Frakes reading uh, today's quote, you can watch it on all of the Roddenberry social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And join us again tomorrow where Norman C. Lau will be our guest again. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's quote. So tweet us. Post us, DM us, whatever. We're at Roddenberry on Twitter and Facebook and at Roddenberry Official on Instagram. Quoting Gene Roddenberry is a Roddenberry podcast hosted by me, Rachel True. And me, Trent Venegas. Producing are Claire Kramer and Kelsey Goldberg with executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Engineering and editing are provided by Elizabeth Joy Windham. And special thanks to all those who were kind enough to read a quote and give a voice to Gene Roddenberry's everlasting words. Live long and prosper. 